I've never been to England. Never been to England. But I've heard about its rail system. I've never experienced its rail underground rail system, but I am aware in the in the London underground that there is a voice which regularly reminds travelers to mind the gap. Mind the gap. The gap between the platform and the rail car. And it was recently reported back in December that one day in 2016, people working for the for the subway system came across a, a woman crying at the embankment station. Uh, that station in, is located between the River Tim and Trafalgar Square, not far from 10 Downing Street, where the Prime Minister lives. And the woman who was crying told uh, the folks working for the subway system, she said the voice had gone. The voice had gone, meaning the voice warning passengers to mind the gap. Actually, the voice was still there, but it was a different voice than it had been. Uh, the voice that the woman knew and was mourning the loss of was recorded by a man by the name of Oswald Lawrence, who had died seven years before, and Lawrence had been this woman's husband. So every day, the woman, Margaret McCollum was her name, Margaret McCollum, on her way to work, could hear her husband's voice reminding travelers to mind the gap. And then that voice was replaced one day with a new one. Uh, the person who reported this story said, to everyone else it had been just another announcement, but to her it had been the ghost of the man she still loved, and now even that had gone. So the staff at the station apologized to Margaret McCollum about the change and told her that there was you know, nothing they could do because the system had, to be up, uh, had been updated and had been digitized. But that's not how the story ends. Uh, the resourceful staff of the London Underground went on to comb through digital files and found recordings of Oswald Lawrence and put them on a CD and gave them to Margaret McCollum. Then they went so far as to have Oswald Lawrence's voice restored at the embankment station to remind travelers to mind the gap. A voice of heaven speaks today, not to say mind the gap, but to announce for anyone with ears to hear, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. That occurs after Jesus' baptism. Today, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. We have this first meeting in the Gospel according to Matthew, and I think the only meeting between John and Jesus. Uh, John, the forerunner, who foretells or speaks of the coming Messiah and the Messiah meet today. And the last we heard from John was back in Advent, the second Sunday of Advent. Uh, we heard on that day that John was out in the wilderness baptizing people in the River Jordan, and people from all over were going out to him to be baptized. And he was saying things like, I baptize you with water, but there is one more powerful than I who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So the last time we heard John, he was all, you brood of vipers, fire and brimstone. But now here he seems meek and differential to Jesus, saying to him, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. But at that moment, Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. 
So this transition from John to Jesus, a Jesus baptism, uh, through, the year has, through the years has been seen as problematic because when people were baptized by John, they did so repenting and confessing their sins. Now, if Jesus is without sin as we claim him to be, then why did Jesus need to be baptized? Jesus says it is proper in order to fulfill all righteousness. Now, we typically think of righteousness in the manner in which the Apostle Paul uses that word, of how we stand before God in terms of our salvation. But here, though, it means simply fulfilling God's will or fulfilling God's purpose. And so it suits God's purposes that Jesus be baptized. So then John baptizes Jesus, and then we have this dramatic revelation. Uh, the heavens, that dome of the sky, parts and opens up, and the Spirit of God descends like a dove and alights on Jesus. And then we hear that God's voice from heaven says, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Now we might think of this event, the opening up of the sky, this revelation of Jesus' identity. We might think of it like some other stories in the Bible in which a person, usually a prophet, uh, is taken up or given a vision of the heavenly court. Like in the uh, book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is shown a vision and he says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Here, instead of that image of, a, of God on God's throne, we have this image of the dove descending upon Jesus. In Christian iconography, many of us know that the dove is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we have here an interplay between this gospel and images we find in the book of Genesis. Uh, here in Matthew, the Spirit of God hovers over the waters of the river Jordan, just as the Spirit hovered over the waters of chaos before creation in those opening verses of Genesis. And then remember the story of Noah. Uh, the story of Noah, how after the waters of the flood begin to recede, Noah sends out a dove to see if there's land, and the dove returns with an olive branch in its beak. So here, through Jesus, God enters into creation. He is God with us, and he enters into solidarity with humanity for the sake of our salvation. So there is a lot going on here in this, in this story of Jesus' baptism. It is rich in meaning and content, but one of the things it doesn't mean is that Jesus was adopted by God. Uh, one of the early heresies of the church was that Jesus, the human born of the Virgin Mary, uh, was adopted by God at this moment of his baptism. Uh, when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus, some folks in the early church thought that was when God adopted Jesus as his son. But Matthew and Luke, if we go back to those uh, stories of, uh, from Christmas, uh, they make it clear through the birth stories that Jesus was, as they say, conceived by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was not adopted as God's son. But we, we have been adopted as God's sons and daughters through our baptism. Baptism is the sacrament by which God adopts us as his children and makes us inheritors of the kingdom of God. Now, for those who gathered for the men's breakfast this last Thursday, uh, there's a group of men, you know, usually about 12 to 20, who gather every Thursday for, we have the same thing every Thursday. We have scrambled eggs, bacon, grits, and banana nut bread. That's, that's what we have. So we had that on Thursday. 
Uh, and then we also have a short Bible study based on the forward movement uh, lesson for that day. And so uh, the lesson from, from Thursday was Romans 8, 14 through 17, in which Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. Paul says, when we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, and if heirs of God, then joint heirs with Christ. So that's, that was the lesson on Thursday, and the Bible study included a, uh, an explanation of what adoption meant under Roman law. And so the presenter on Thursday morning uh, taught us that if a, if a Roman man did not have a son, or didn't have a son, he could trust, uh, he could create an heir by adopting a male from outside the family. Uh, the male didn't have to be, even be a child. He, uh, they could adopt a grown man to be his son or his heir. Now the adoptee was given a new identity and was made an heir. And by being an heir under Roman law, it didn't mean uh, the same thing as it being an heir now means. Usually when we think about being an heir, we think about receiving an inheritance from somebody who has died. But apparently under Roman law, family members held the property jointly with the head of the family, and all children, biological or adopted, were already heirs while their father lived. And so that's the metaphor that Paul uses to explain our relationship with God through Jesus, that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ as adopted children of God. Now, as Paul says... When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The very same spirit that descended and alighted upon Jesus is the same spirit by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba meaning dad, basically. When we cry Abba, which means dad, we don't do that into a void. You know, when we speak those, when we say those prayers and we cry out, Abba, Father, we don't do so into a void. There is a response. The psalm makes it clear that the God has a powerful voice. Though we may not hear it with our ears, I pray that we hear God's voice with our hearts. That response from God to our cry to him. Not a voice from heaven, but the still small voice which whispers to each of us, You are my son. You are my daughter. You are beloved. Because if we are God's children, through baptism, then we are heirs. Heirs with Christ. Heirs with the Messiah. And with that Messiah, God is well pleased. Amen.